Good evening. It is good to see each one. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. What a wonderful period of worship we've had already this evening. How blessed we are to be able to join together what we've seen over and over in our study of worship together uh, to worship God and to sing praise to God together. What a wonderful gift. We want to remind all of our high school young ladies that Sculpt will begin this Wednesday evening and be 48 hours beginning Wednesday evening. And so if you want to participate in that, be sure and make sure that you have signed up at the youth board. And, uh, and we would ask everybody to be prayerful about that. Uh, trip about those 48 hours and the good that can be done as we invest in the lives of our youth. What a wonderful resource God has given us in the lives of our youth. Any of you speak that know, uh, you know that uh, speaking is an interesting situation in that sometimes uh, you say things that you wish you could take back. And so I want to read to you a letter from John Michael. He preached last Sunday evening, and he is away uh, this Sunday on vacation. And so he asked me, he said, I don't want time to go by on this. And so he asked me to read this to you. And uh, I'll simply read it. Dear church family, I recently realized the need to clarify something I said a week ago in my Sunday night sermon. Within the sermon, I was telling many stories with similar points, and I said between the stories, I swear, these are all the same story. I must have said it two or three additional times. To clarify, I apologize for the poor use of the word. I didn't mean to convey swearing as an acceptable thing, nor do I condone swearing by something we have no control over. I more so meant to convey the sense of I sincerely promise that all these are the same story. I just chose the wrong word on the fly. I apologize for the misspoken meaning to those who found the phrase offensive. I apologize and ask for understanding. I didn't intend to offend. Thank you for your understanding. I didn't want time to pass by without explaining this. I appreciate your encouragement and feedback, and it is a joy to preach, teach, and work with the church at Mount Juliet. I sincerely promise you that. Uh, John Michael Kennedy. What a blessing it is to uh, work with a man that has such a heart uh, to want to do God's will and want to make wrongs right. And we appreciate his heart in that. And we appreciate the great work that he does. Do keep in mind that these bright color sheets are scattered throughout the foyer that do tell about the community giveaway day. And that's our involvement in it, not the community's participation and invitation to it. These are sheets that tell us how we can be involved. And as we've been studying throughout the day, our place is to be conduit for what God gives us. And this is one wonderful way uh, that we can do that among many other wonderful ways. If you have your Bible, be turning to 1029. The Bible is in the pew to be 2 Corinthians, the 8th and 9th chapter. Uh, we do not have uh, slides for this particular lesson, but every point that we make will come out of 2 Corinthians, the 8th and the 9th chapter. And so I hope you take your Bible or grab the one in the pew there, 1029, and uh, we will begin into a study of a wonderful passage. Just a couple of quick sentences to remind you, or if you were not here this morning, what we're going to strive to do tonight is kind of lay some groundwork that runs throughout all of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which is a passage of scripture that Paul was writing, of course, to the people of Corinth. A year prior to that, in 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, he had told them of an order. It wasn't a suggestion. It was the authority of God, an order that they were to give on a weekly basis, a collection that then, after a period of time, it would be delivered to the ones in Jerusalem that were 
undergoing some kind of great trial. We mentioned this morning, it might literally have been persecution that was causing this hardship. And this was something that we will see from the study tonight. It was something that the churches of Macedonia had been invited to participate in and did very well in it. And also some churches in Achaia had been invited into this. And now, of course, the churches in Corinth had been invited. And what I want you to see here, there are principles involved in this study that help us to see that if our idea of, of when the plate is passed on Sunday, if to you that is something like, well, it's just an opportunity to give. Just like if I have the opportunity to give to, and just name a good cause, the Red Cross, or if I have, uh, have an opportunity to even contribute to an IRA fund, it's an investment. How do you view the opportunity to give back to God? And I hope that tonight, as we study this together, that you'll see that there is a deep, significant, spiritual work that is involved in giving. And I I don't want to speak as if it's judgmental, because maybe nobody here does this. But how easy is it for the plate to pass and nothing be on our mind? Not how much God has given, how thankful we are to be able to give back, And how often do individuals walk in and have given no thought the whole week? How much am I going to give this morning? What does God want me to give? What should be the sacrifice? And if it is that shallow, my approach to giving, I probably am treating it like just any activity that would come along that might ask for me to be a participant in giving. And all I'm trying to suggest to you tonight is if you fall somewhere in that realm, I beg you, spend some time, much more than tonight, spend some time reading 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I mean, read that text every day for a week or two and look to see what are the principles that God wants us to know about giving. It's such a spiritual and stretching faith-growing activity that God invites us to participate in every week. And so hopefully it's, it's more than a financial matter. Hopefully it's a deep spiritual matter that keeps us on the growing edge in that aspect of our trust in God. So with that in mind, I'd like for you to see that instead of it just being a financial matter, the first thing that I want you to see is that God says here in this passage, writing through Paul, he says it's an act of fellowship. Now, I don't know if that has as much meaning to you uh, if, if we hadn't gone through this series of lessons. But I'd like to think that as a preacher that we have talked over and over about each of the acts of worship. And we've noticed how many times God says, I want you to do this together. And that's the idea of fellowship. The idea of fellowship is we are together in this, but we're also sharing in this. Remember when we studied the Lord's Supper? He, just a few chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians, he was warning them and he was heavily correcting them because they weren't taking the Lord's Supper together. And he says, I can't even praise you in the way you're doing it. And so the very idea of giving is something also that we are to do together. Let's look at this. And, uh, and by the way, as we're looking at this, don't miss the opportunity to see the example of the Macedonians and what we're about to read. He 
is writing, of course, to Corinth, but he's saying, hey, you want to see a great example of what you ought to be in Corinth? And listen, it's a great example of what Mount Juliet ought to be too. It's a great example of what our churches ought to be, all congregations. And, and so in these verses, listen to what he says about Macedonia. But when, but when we get down to verse 4, I want you to notice the word fellowship. And the word fellowship there, he literally is referring to them participating in giving. And so he is talking about, in this particular context, he's talking about the act of giving and he's calling it fellowship. But so let's begin though verse 1 because there's so much good about Macedonia here. Uh, the 8th chapter, 2 Corinthians verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Over and over we're going to see grace and many times here it's especially referring to the generous way God gives to us. Beyond just our salvation through many of the means that he gives. And notice he says to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift, the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Who were these people in Macedonia? We see back in verse 2, they're individuals. Notice the choice of words here. They're individuals in deep poverty, trial of affliction. Perhaps a part of their trial had also been due to persecution, but whatever it was, it has left them in deep poverty. But notice what, what they abound in. Through their deep poverty, there's something that's overflowing. And of all things, it's joy. How can people be in deep poverty and abound in joy? You know what to do it? Generosity. Notice they were liberal in their giving, even though they were in depths of poverty. Please note this. If your mind has always been, and it's our fleshly nature to do this, but I'm just asking you if you do this, make a note to yourself, don't ever do this again. If your mindset is, I love to think about what I'll do if I ever had a million dollars. That's not healthy. You know what God wants to know? God wants to know what you'll do with what you have right now. If you only have $100 to your name, God wants to know what you're going to do with $100 to your name. If you have $10,000 to your name, God wants to know what you're going to do with $10,000 to your name. If you have a million dollars to your name, God wants to know what you're going to do with a million. God doesn't want to know what you're going to do with some pie-in-the-sky dream in the future. And here are individuals that in their deep poverty, why were they so happy? Because they were generous. And they were generous in their partnership with God, which is going to be one of our main points in just a moment. But that's why they were so happy. Now, what did this produce, if you will? You notice that it produced individuals that were willing. Did you notice there in three and four, it appears, and, and I almost hate to say this because it makes it sound like I might be judging Paul in here. I'm not trying to judge Paul in here, but it's just interesting that it notes here that Paul did not ask them. Remember this morning when I said, what would you do if, if the, the widow with the two mites, if you'd have been standing there, would you have gone over and put the two mites back in her hand and said, hey, sweetie, we, we can give. Don't, don't you worry about that. It almost appears kind of like that situation. Okay, Paul, if you're collecting money from all these areas and you're sending it down to Jerusalem, why didn't you ask the people of Macedonia? Now, we don't know that. But if I could just go out on a limb, Paul might have answered that by saying, well, they're so poor. I don't want to, we're asking, we're asking poor people to help poor people. Why don't we ask people that are a little bit more wealthy 
to help poor people. So that's why I didn't ask them. I don't know for sure if that's why I didn't ask them. But isn't it interesting that even though he didn't ask them, notice the language there, they came and implored him. They came begging him saying, we want to participate in this gift. Let that sink in. You hear that there's a good cause. How many of us, when others are being asked, how many of us think, I hope they don't ask me. And instead, the Macedonians were going to Paul and saying, we're taking a collection for the church in Jerusalem? Yes. Please, I know you haven't asked us, Paul, but we beg you, let us participate in this. And what was the result? Well, the result was, see there in verse 4, employing us with much urgency, see they were urgent about it, that we would receive the gift, now notice this, and the fellowship of the ministry. What did they want? The choice of words here is very interesting, and I believe that Paul is using these choice of words, obviously, to strike at the heart, to help us see why individuals want to give. It's not just, hey, I've got some money, and I want to figure out something to do with it, but it's more of, Paul, we believe in what we are doing together as a kingdom. Now, let this resonate. We believe that what we're doing together as a kingdom is something that we want to be a part of. Do you love the kingdom? Do you love kingdom work? If we really love the kingdom and we love kingdom work, what do you feel like when you're left out of kingdom work? You can imagine these individuals coming up and saying, we want to share in that. We want fellowship. It's not just a money issue. It's not just the gift. We want fellowship in the kingdom. We want to share in this together. It's interesting how many times Paul uses this word, which right here, fellowship is, is in the original, is koinonia. And he uses this word several times that we think about fellowship. And to be honest, and, and I hope we're growing out of this, but a lot of time, the first thing we think of is what? Food. You talk about fellowship and somebody says, what are we having to eat? That word, as beautiful as it is, any of us that just came back from Elizabethton, wow, those folks know how to do a fellowship meal. I think we gained weight uh, while we were walking every day in 100 degree weather. But, but now, think about this. That word has, so, has a much, much broader, deeper meaning and I'm not taking away. It is important for us to sit down and eat meals together. The early church did that from day one. We're not discounting that. But it's just interesting that Paul uses that same word to say, I want to talk to you about giving. Well, why use that word? Because it's something we do together. I want to show you two other times that Paul uses the word. If you want to turn there, I'll quickly mention. Remember this morning in, in Romans, the 12th chapter, in verse 13. Remember that word distributing? We talked about that a while. Remember it just simply said distributing to the needs of the saints. That's the very same word. So there he's talking about financial things again, and he uses the word, I want you to fellowship. I want you to distribute. I want you to share with each other. And then we go over to Philippians. And you remember the people of Macedonia, which the exact town here is Philippi. And remember, they were the ones that supported Paul as a missionary when nobody else supported him. And so he talks about that financial fellowship that they had. Look at Philippians, the fourth chapter, and I'm going to read verse 15, Philippians 4 and 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, and here's the word, shared. 
No church fellowshiped with me. No church served as a distribution center of finances to me. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, a little side note, this central right here, it's worth us understanding. Because I think sometime, sometime in the church, it's easy for us to, I think Satan wants us to feel like we're not important. If you are a regular, generous, sacrificial giver here, you know what you're involved in? You're involved in every good work that takes place in this place. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that when, when we talk about the, the great trip that we had to Elizabethton and the seven souls that were reached, and somebody says, I wish I could have been involved in that. If you're a generous giver, you've been involved in that. Notice how Paul says it here. He's talking to the church, and he says, you have shared with me. And look what he says in 17. Now that I, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You know what Paul's saying there? We fellowshiped. You gave money, and I I did work on these mission trips as you gave money. And you know the fruit that was produced on those mission trips? And the Macedonians, yes, we're so thankful for that. He says, that's to your account. In other words, in God's eyes, God looks at that and says, Paul helped bring those souls to the Lord. The church of Philippi helped bring those souls to the Lord. That's a beautiful thought. What is one good reason to be a generous, sacrificial giver? Because in that, we fellowship. In that, not only do we share in each giving, but we share in the success that takes place in the kingdom. And what a beautiful, beautiful thought that is. Let's go back again now to 2 Corinthians 8th chapter. I'd like for you to notice the second thing. Notice he said again in 2 Corinthians 8 and 4, he said, not only uh, imploring with us much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship, notice this, of the ministering to the saints. The second thing that I want you to see is that Paul here calls the opportunity for us to give, he literally calls it a service. It is a service that we render because that money is a tool that is to be used in the kingdom to do great things. Now, if, if you want to just look at one more passage that talks about that, look in the ninth chapter in 12 and 13. In the ninth chapter, 12 and 13, and keep in mind, we don't change the subject as we go from the eighth to the ninth chapter. It's all the same story here. And look what he says, and I want you to notice the word service as we get in verse 11 and uh, in verse 12. Let's begin in verse 11 where he says, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, in other words, you're so generous, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Notice in verse 12, for the ministration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also the bounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorified God for the obedience of confession to the gospel of Christ and for the liberal sharing, there's that word sharing again, with them for all men. So what was the point? Back up here, when we look in verse 12, we see that it was a service. This gift that was given was truly a service. Now, I may be kind of running on to another point real quick, but while we're right here, because I'm so afraid we're going to run out of time tonight, can I go ahead and mention to you this? Put your eyes back on 12 and 13 there and think about the way I use the money that God gives me. This morning, we're a conduit. It comes through me to do good. Does it do this? Notice the act of service, number one in verse 12, does it supply the needs of the saints? 
Number two, does it cause people to abound in thanksgiving to God? And number three, look at verse 13. Does it cause people to glorify God? Now that ought to be our goal. And I'm not saying that's easy to always do. But if we give generously to the Lord each Sunday, that is what the work of the church ought to do. We help supply the needs of the people around us. And and when individuals are helped, they give thanksgiving to God and they give glory to God. That's a wonderful use of what God has given us. Now, what could be the other option, even if we give? The other option could be is I could take what God gives me and I could give it in my name. And I could cause people to have their needs fulfilled, but they give thanksgiving to David. And they glorify David's name. They go around and say, boy, I tell you, that Dave Shannon, he's a generous fellow. He's a neighbor down the road. You know what he did? That's not what we want to do. We want to be conduit so that our needs that we supply cause people to give thanksgiving, abounding to God and glory to God. And so that's what our opportunity to give is a ministry. It's a service that if it's done right, fulfills needs, gives the glory to God and the thanksgiving and praise to God. Back up, if you will, now to the eighth chapter. And let's see a third thing that I'll be honest with you. If, if this wasn't in the Bible, somebody would say, wow, that's a low blow to bring out when you're talking about giving financially. Out of all the things God could say in the eighth chapter, probably the most convicting is around coming out of the seventh and going into the eighth and ninth verse where he says, You want to talk about giving? Let me talk to you about what I gave. Remember John 3 and 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He says, with that in mind, now Corinthians, now people of Mount Juliet, let's talk about how much you give. That's sobering. I'll be honest with you, that makes me feel so small. But God says it to challenge us to realize that the more we become generous and willing to give all, the more we are like God. And so let's just read this. And I can't really expound on it better than than what Paul does here. But look at the beginning of verse 7. He says, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. Think about these. Are you growing in faith? Are you growing in the way you use your tongue? Are you growing in knowledge and all diligence in your love for us? Here's another thing he wants us to grow in. See that you abound in this grace also. And the grace that he's talking about here is literally the generous gift. He's saying, if you're growing in all these other things, are you growing in how much you give? And he's talking about financially here. And and so with that in mind, he says in verse 8, I speak not by the commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know, here it goes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ That though he was rich, talking about when he was in heaven, yet for your sakes, he became poor. Talking about coming to this earth and living a life of uh, not as a rich person. That you through his poverty might become rich. Paul, what is it that you want us to know about giving? He says, number three, I want you to know that it's an act of grace. The word grace means a generous and abounding gift. God expects our giving to be a gracious gift, a generous, abounding gift. Well, Paul, can you give us an idea, like a a scale of what? What do you mean a generous and abounding gift? He says, like Jesus. How rich was Jesus in heaven? How much did he give up? All of the spiritual wealth that he had in heaven. He gave all of it up to become poor. Why? 
Because in our spiritual poverty, because of His grace, we became rich spiritually. Our opportunity to give, as the plate is passed on Sunday, is an opportunity to reflect upon all that God has given us and give back in a generous way. And in that sense, in like kind. Fourth, I'd like for you to see that it is a generous gift. And I just want to simply use the, the words in ninth chapter, verse 5. Notice this, then appear in your translation. Translation, I'm going to be reading, literally uses the word generous gift. Look in the ninth chapter, verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift. Isn't that beautiful? Prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So as we think about what is our gift supposed to be, and we see it's supposed to be a blessing And it's supposed to be a generous blessing. And he ties the next verse into that generosity. Look at verse 6. It's in this context that he says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so the Lord is saying, Listen, not only based on what you give generously, be ready to receive and like kind. You give to me a little bit, I'll give back to you a little bit. You give to me generously, I'll give back to you generously. So he says, what I want is a generous gift. And what you receive in the future will be the result of it. Do you realize what you and I are receiving today is a result of what we've given in the past? And so maybe we need to evaluate that. And say, well, I don't like where I am today. Maybe we need to put different seeds in the ground than what we have in the past. But notice also there's an attitude that is attached to this generosity It's not only a generosity of the financial means, but it's in the sense of sacrifice, but it's a generosity even of a willing spirit. And it's tied. He very clearly talks about this spirit. We read it this morning. Look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes, that's the plan, in his heart. And here it goes. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we see that's a generous gift. Fifth, I'd like for you to see this. And to me, this is one of the neatest points that we'll study tonight. And that is, fifth, our giving to the Lord in a generous fashion puts us in partnership with God. Isn't that amazing? When I think about God, I think about an almighty God who is active every day. And I think about a God who is actively involved in in the kingdom work. And I think about a God who is actively using people that make themselves available. And how awesome is it to be able to say, I want to be a partner with God. This Sunday, based on what I've planned to sacrificially give, I'm going to partner up with God this Sunday. Well, what would that look like? Let's look at the ninth chapter, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Look what he says in 8. And and this, I just love this phrase in 8. And God is able. If you write in your Bible, that line right there is worth underlining. God is able. And you know what? That God who's able, he, in other words, he has endless resources. He's able to enable you to do great things for his cause. The decision we have to make is are we going to join forces with him? And that's our decision. So notice how he says here in 8, God is able 
to make all grace abound toward you. See, here's the conduit. God will give it to you that you always have all sufficiency in all things may have the abundance for every good work. And then he quotes out of Psalms here. He who has dispersed abroad has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now pause here for a moment. You see what he's doing? He's saying, you know how God is always dispersing? God is sowing. God is giving bread to the poor. God is casting seeds out. Do you see what he's doing here? Now he's saying God is still doing that. And you know how one way that he's doing it? He's taking the brothers and sisters. He's taking his children and he's saying, okay, I'm a resource to give you the seeds. Now, are you going to sow them? I'm going to give you the bread. Are you going to give the bread away? And so let's notice how that's, that's exactly what he does here in 1011. Now may he who supplies a seed, God gives a seed to the sower. See, now we become the sower. In other words, we don't keep the seed. We receive the seed and disperse it and bread for food. And it's not just our daily bread. It's bread that we would share with others so that they would have daily bread. Notice bread for food, supply and multiply the seed. You have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For four solid verses, all he does is talk about us becoming partners with God. Who is it in your life that God intends on helping this week? And if you're open to it, he intends on helping them through you. He intends on giving you the seed, the loaf of bread, the resource that's needed, He can give with sufficiency. And he says, I want you to go out and give it and notice. And I want the result for them to give thanksgiving to God. We do it individually and we do it collectively as a church family. We have the opportunity every day to be partners with God. What is it and who is it that I need to see that God sees? And when I receive a blessing, and I want to really challenge you on this. I want to challenge myself on this. The next blessing I receive financially will my first thought be, God, why did you give this to me? Is there somebody in my life that you gave this to me because you expected me to use that as a seed in their life? God, why did you give me the car I have? Is there somebody you expect me to give rides to? Why did you give me the house you gave me? Is there somebody that you expect me to use this house as a tool in their life? God, why did you give me the health that you gave me? Are there certain moments of the day, time spans in my life that you expect for certain things to be done because you gave me this measure of health? And friends, I know what what I'm suggesting to you right now is not easy to answer. But I think that's what drives us to our knees in prayer. And I think that's what purifies our motives. When we do at least recognize the fact God did not give us what we have to be kept. Everything he has given us is to be used in some way to his glory. And to find that is to join up 
in full-fledged partnership with God and say, God, I'm a conduit. Use me. Use me however you see fit. And then I'd like to close by reminding you, we've already looked at the phrase once, but I'd like to remind you in the ninth chapter in verse 8, God says it's a test. And again, I know that if this was a man saying this, it could be offensive. But this is what God says about us giving. God says when we give, it's an opportunity to test. And I'm just going to read it. It's bold. It's very bold. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. God, how do you look upon our giving on Sunday? And he says, I look at it as a test to see really how sincere you are in your love for me. See, our challenge is we grow real comfortable in believing that it is our job that gives us security. And so we love that security. It's our savings account that gives us security and we love that savings account. It's the estate that we have, and we love that estate because it gives us security. And God says, I want to know who you really love. Who's really your God? Who do you really trust? I want to test you. Is it God that provides for you? Or is it your job that provides for you? Is it God that gives you confidence and security? Or is it your portfolio that gives you confidence and security? And God says, I just want to make sure that when it's the opportunity to give, that you realize it's a test to prove who you trust. Let me mention to you as we close... The book of Proverbs talks about the wisdom of saving. Throughout the scriptures, we we are taught very clearly that if man wouldn't work, neither should he eat. And so those illustrations or applications I gave you just a moment ago is not to say that savings is a sin. Appreciating your job and working hard is wrong. That's not at all why we say that. It's who do you trust? We must We must put our trust in God. And every Sunday when we give, it's a test and it's an opportunity to say, God, here's my generous offering back to you. Because I realize it's from you that it came and it's to you that it belongs to. And I want to give it and give the thanksgiving and the glory to you. And when we do that, we're going to keep growing. Because spiritually, it's keeping us on our edge where we see and are constantly searching for the opportunities to serve God with the tool that He has given us. Tonight, we're all on a journey. And so far, none of us here have arrived. The great mark for which we're striving to achieve is the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. I haven't arrived. When I look how much He gave... It's not even hardly a comparison, but I want to do better. And I hope you want to do better. And I hope that all of us realize that the greatest, the greatest mark that we move toward is toward Him. 
And so tonight we extend this invitation by simply saying, is there anything that we can do to help you take steps towards him? If you're a believer ready to be immersed into Christ as, as one that's ready to repent and confess, we'd love to assist you with that. If, if you're ready to come, but you don't even know what to do, we would love to just study with you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to take the scriptures and, and just allow those to be the guide. Maybe you've come to him and you lost the way. We'd love to help you find the way back. All we're wanting to do is everybody leave here having given our all. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. We all want to leave here having given our all to the Lord. And if we can help you with that, come as we stand and as we sing.